Okay, good evening everyone. Welcome to our evening Dhamma. And take a moment here to ask everyone how the audio is. We've got audio in Second Life. We've got audio on YouTube. We've got local audio. Can you hear me in the back there? I'm nodding, okay. Locally, I'm okay. i got to get some speakers in this room. I can set up a microphone. Let's see YouTube. How Can YouTube hear me? I'm not going to get any death threats from YouTube for not having sufficient audio. Okay, good. YouTube is good. Louder than last night? Alright, well we'll see if there's any comments by the end, we'll adjust it again. So today we're talking about purification. Purification by overcoming doubt. Which, if you understand it, is the next logical step from uh, after purification of view. Again, purification of view, what we talked about last night, is changing the way we look at the world. So moving from a concept or entity-based, three-dimensional, impersonal, view of reality to an experiential base where we begin to look at reality from a point of view of here, now uh, and, and first person uh, what am I experiencing? What is, what is the experience here and now? as the basis for the reality so purification by overcoming doubt isn't really about doubt about that about what reality is made up of it's more in regards to uh, the way we're going to approach reality or the, the um, the consequences of the reality of the nature of reality what it means the implications So doubt is a, a quality of mind that we live with ordinarily. We, we live with a doubt constantly about what should I do with my life? What is the right way to go? We have doubts about Um, about the nature of our lives about, about our situations We have doubts about what we should do We have doubts about the nature of the world How does the world work? A lot of science was created to help answer these questions Help us find a better way to live Help, help us 
uh, understand the universe so that we might live a better way. It's why religion was created as well. Religion and science, uh, as, we as we understand these words, they both tried to provide us with answers. Though what we call religion has often been more about believing without much basis in evidence. And science has been much more about evidence. They both tried to give us answers to help us overcome doubt. And there's quite a bit of overlap, in fact, if you if you think about it from a phenomenological point of view, to believe something or to know it. The point is it provides you with an answer. Science provides us with answers based on evidence, and that seems that that's very good at overcoming doubt conventionally, right? If you rely on science, if you believe in science, if you put your faith in science, it's very good at overcoming our doubt rationally. You know, very, very good at helping us to find ways of living our lives and there's so much we take for granted about the world that science has discovered to be true. And so science begins to uh, begins to to assuage our doubts and help us free ourselves from from doubt, but it doesn't go the full distance. I mean, for two reasons. First, because science doesn't know everything. Scientists haven't figured out all the answers to all the questions, but also because the answers are not our answers. Where science breaks down is it can't help you come to know the truth of your reality. So we talked about things like depression. Science can help you understand the physical aspects of depression, but it can't help you overcome depression because it can't help you understand I mean it can help but it can't bring you to understand uh, your own depression and understand your depression to the extent that you free yourself from it or anxiety or fear right? science can't tell you how to live your life can't tell you how to react to situations it can't teach you wisdom it's the difference again between wisdom and intelligence so Religion tries to provide this wisdom, it tries to offer things like ethics. And so the, the big, our biggest doubts are usually in regards to religion. They're in regards to our own, what we call spirituality, but what really turns out to be much more uh, how we interact in a very mundane way with the universe. Right? We talk about belief in God as though it's some sort of divine or, or abstract thing, but it's really just a means for us to cope. God is a coping mechanism, more or less. How do I mean that? We, we, we use God to reassure ourselves. God has a plan for you. No matter how hard thing, things get, just remember God loves you. Just remember God is in heaven waiting for you. 
So from a psychological point of view, which really is a much more much better founded in reality than than religion god and and things like god are just tools that we use to help us solve or help us help us yeah, help us solve our problems help us cope with our difficulties most of religion is like that ritual for example you see buddhists do a lot of rituals chanting ringing bells, bowing. Psychologically, these are useful things. They help promote positive mind states. But none of these things is really enough. Enough for what? Enough to help us overcome, to allow us to completely overcome doubt. And so this next stage is where the meditator begins to actually uh, actually understand not only the nature of reality but or, or not only the building blocks of reality but how it works how the machine uh, works not just what it's made up of how it works and so the first stage is the meditator now begins to not only look at body and mind remember what we talked about last night but begins to understand how body and mind work together so the overcoming of doubt here has to do very much with um, how reality really works, how our problems come to be, our, I mean the big part of our problem is we don't even understand our problems. I'm anxious, where does it come from, what does it mean? I'm depressed, what is it? And you go to the doctor and they tell you, oh it's because your brain is this and this and this which again is useful to a point, doesn't really, I mean it it leads us on the wrong path I think in some sense because it's too much of reliance on that as the answer. I mean it's not wrong, the brain is doing certain things, but it's wrong in the sense that that answer isn't going to free us from depression. It's the wrong answer because it's the wrong type of answer. And the right type of answer is one that we see for ourselves. Oh yes, look at me creating my depression. Look at the depression caused by this and this and this. The meditator begins to see cause and effect. It's called Pachaya Parigahanyana. It's the second of the 16 stages of knowledge. You start to see cause and effect. Again, these knowledges are not something intellectual. I wouldn't even really recommend researching them too much. Anyone who gets caught up in these ends up just hurting themselves in terms of the practice. If you get too caught up in learning about the knowledges and thinking about the knowledges, and the kind of thing teachers use to assess their students, but they're not the most important thing, and they can even be detrimental if you know too much. And again, at this point, we're very much into results of the practice. So this is useful for those of you who are meditating. It's useful for those of you who haven't in a sense, to give you a sense of where you're going. It helps build confidence and direction, but it's certainly not a replacement for actual practice. And it's most useful for those people who are already experiencing these things, so they can confirm and, and uh, focus their energies based on what is and what is not the path.
in in summary, this is an understanding of karma. We talk about karma in Buddhism. What we really mean by karma in Buddhism, we mean our intentions or our our bent, our volition in the mind. And so, at this point, the meditator starts to understand what volition means. When you have a desire for something, well, it leads to a result, and you learn what that result is. You don't have to believe anyone. When you have this sort of mindset, it leads to this result. And the meditator begins to reflect upon all of their past volitions as well. They start to see how this led to this and that led to that. And most importantly, they see here and now how this leads to this, that leads to that. I mean, it's very simple. The meditator begins to see the mechanics of reality. It's quite obvious. The meditator, once they've re uh, past the first stage they'll enter into this stage the next thing that has to do with that um, overcoming doubt has to do with is well, what we do in regards to that hey so this leads to this that leads to that what, what does it all mean or, or what do I do about this what's the answer so to some extent, of course, the answer is, is just to be mindful, but there's a deeper understanding that happens here. And there's a wrestling with oneself, as one wrestles with the implications of the nature of reality. One sees how craving is a cause for suffering. One begins to see this at this point, and one wrestles with that. Um, in the sense that the meditation is showing one some fairly uncomfortable truths. And so the wrestling has to do with understanding that this isn't a product of the meditation. The meditator's first instinct is, well, something's wrong with the meditation because craving doesn't lead to suffering. When I want things, I get them. Now the problem here is I'm not getting what I want. The meditator begins to see a lot of suffering, stress. It's quite stressful at this point. It's the one, one of the stages of the meditation that can be quite stressful. Is one is forced to choose between following one's desires or letting them go. I mean, both seem to be potential ways to free oneself from suffering, right? You want something. Your two options are get what you want or give up the wanting. Either one frees you from the wanting, it frees you from the suffering. And so the meditator begins to see, uh, begins to, to, I mean they have this doubt and it actually can cause some meditators early on in the course to leave or to consider leaving. It's the most difficult, one of the most difficult parts of the course, just psychologically because the meditator is wrestling with this new found knowledge that the things that we cling to are not satisfying they're not stable or predictable and they're not controllable so one begins to see the, f the three characteristics and one's first taste of the three characteristics of impermanence, suffering, non-self are a challenge and so there's a lot of doubt 
in this stage as a result. So it's called purification by overcoming doubt because the meditator who successfully navigates this begins to gain a, a real understanding and reassurance of how nature really works, how reality really works. Starts to realize, oh, this is the problem. Not that I'm not getting what I want, but that I want in the first place. If I were content, if I were at peace, if I didn't react to things, I wouldn't suffer. Why? Because those things that I'm reacting to are impermanent suffering and non-self. They can't possibly satisfy me. They're impermanent in that they're uncertain, unstable. They're suffering in the sense they're unsatisfying, and if you cling to them, you're just going to suffer because, of course, they're impermanent. And they're out of our control. They're not me, they're not mine, they're not self, myself, they're not any self. They're experiences that arise and cease and that are based on causes and conditions. So the meditator who starts to accept this, it, it really is a liberating moment. I mean, the next, the next stages that we'll talk about a little bit more next time, are much more peaceful and 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 pleasant, um, reassuring to the meditator. Once they make this shift, it's really another shift from doubting and uncertainty and and wavering and. Uh, a lot of wrong ideas about the nature of reality to a certainty, to seeing how, how reality really works and understanding why we were doubting in the first place, why we were unsure about our lives and what to do, where to go. We had it all wrong. We started to see what's really going on, how reality really works. Frees you from doubt. When you're free from doubt, there's a there's a certainty, there's a, a composure of mind and that's what propels one into the more pleasant states, the more composed and, and uh, energetic states. So it's an encouragement and if you're in the beginning stages of the practice and it's difficult, you're probably going through this where you start to see the three characteristics for the first time and it's not pleasant and you think, whoa, you know, this meditation is changing reality. You know, reality isn't like this. It must be a meditation that makes things suddenly impermanent, unsatisfying, uncontrollable. I better go back to my other reality where things are pleasant, satisfying, and controllable. Until you realize, oh no, this has nothing to do with the meditation at all. This is the nature of reality whether I'm here or not. You can't escape it by going home. And at that point, one is is really in a in a good way. At that point, they begin to practice vipassana. Here, we're not yet in vipassana. You're not you're not yet in the stages of insight. Insight isn't said to have arisen until the next purification. Even though there is insight, it's not really considered vipassana because one is still struggling to learn the nature of reality. It's like at this point we're just learning how the tools work. It's like you're beginning a you're a carpenter. And so before you go and carve up some wood or, or build a cabinet or something, you have to learn about your tools. This is a chisel, this is a hammer, this is this, this is that. 
that's what we're doing now learning how reality works learning what it's all about once you do that and the doubt disappears it means you get this composure of mind that's when your tools you're, you're, you're able to use your, your the mind is your tool and the mind has become a useful tool that you can apply and begin to address and, and overcome suffering and stress and difficulty so there we are purification number four, four already that's the Dhamma for tonight thank you all for coming out Site again is not loading. There was some some problem with it last night, and again tonight it's not loading. Performing a TLS handshake to meditation.sirimangalow.org. Good to know my my browser at least has good manners. The server is not accepting the handshake though. Oh, here we go. Everything should be working. We also have an audio stream. I don't know if anyone's actually listening to it, but hopefully it's also working well. Well, there must be some bottleneck. Everyone trying to access the site all at once is causing it to not work, which I really think we... I know our IT people are, are overworked and underpaid, but I really think we should uh, assess whether there's um, something fundamentally wrong with our setup, because... Know, if it keeps stopping and we have to reset it really is a sign I mean it's clearly only when or it seems to be only when we do this session so um, it seems to be clearly a, a case of too many people trying to access at once which means we need a better service I think something is there's some bottleneck that has to be addressed
Alright. Well, another excuse for me not to answer questions. Thank you all for tuning in. Have a good night.